You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations with Healthicity. I am CJ Wolf, and today we're going to be talking about psychotherapy, or what most of us refer to today just as therapy. Um, and so we're, we're excited to, to share this with you today. And we are going to have our, uh, my wonderful colleague, Misty, uh, ask me some questions. So some of you may know that um, you know, before I turned to a full-time career in compliance, I was uh, studying uh, psychiatry. So I had gone to medical school and completed medical school and began a residency in psychiatry. I am not a licensed psychiatrist today. Uh, it's been uh, over 20 some years, <laughs> but uh, it's an area that I did study a little bit. So we're going to talk about some of these things and we're going to also uh, relate them to, to compliance a little bit. So welcome, Misty. Hi, CJ. Thank you. Very excited for this. Yeah, I think it's a good topic. And, you know, you know, I'm thinking back a little bit on my history, you know, 20 some years ago, uh, therapy was a little bit more, um, you know, there's still some social stigma a little bit. Um, but nowadays, I think, you know, going to therapy is is a little bit more common and, and people are a little bit more willing to talk about it and talk about the benefits and, and all those sorts of things. So I think uh, our uh, podcast today is going gonna, is gonna to be a good one for folks. Oh yeah, 100%. I, I said it before on the last podcast, I'm a millennial, so I don't really know anybody who isn't in therapy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it can really help. It's to me, it's kind of <laughs> like, it's like exercises for your mind, right? Like, so, you know, yeah. we, 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 you know, we, we do exercise, we watch our diet, we, um, you know, people go to physical therapy, like if they had a stroke, and they need to now relearn how to use their arm, or, um, you know, whatever kind of injury, or maybe a surgery, and now they're doing physical therapy, psychotherapy is kind of like mind therapy, if you will. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And they're so connected, the you know, yes. the body and the mind and yeah, um, and it it's kind of the la you know the mind is kind of like the last frontier in in medicine, right? Like we 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 know physio uh, from a physiology standpoint how the heart beats, right? Like what what prompts it to beat, how the pressures are created. You know, we use the physics and the physiology, and we can figure that out. The mind is still kind of like the the last frontier. We know that it's there. We don't know exactly how it works. It's so complex, but we know that that interaction is there between mind and body. Yeah, totally. And um, and like you were saying about stigma um, and how that's changed, a lot of that's also because psychotherapy has changed. So um, yes. I wanted to ask you, like, what is psychotherapy or therapy? Like, what does that look like? And then how has it changed over the years? Because um, I don't know if, if anyone else out there is like me, you might be thinking back to like old school, scary 70s psychotherapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, psychotherapy or, you know, we can just even call it therapy. It's really, it's a combination of both science and art. Uh, you know, a skillful clinician can help people make changes, adaptive changes and healthier choices 
you know, minimizing distress and minimizing dysfunction, similar to how a, you know, a physician, you know, might help somebody who has diabetes. How do you minimize the effects of this underlying disease so that you don't have uh, additional side effects and that you can have as healthy a life as possible while living with this condition. Um, not everyone that goes to therapy has, um, you know, some sort of uh, severe mental illness, but we all go through periods of time where, you know, we might have depression or stress and anxiety. Some people do have more uh, severe types of conditions like bipolar um, and some other things where, where medicines might help, but we're really, psychotherapy is more the talk therapy. It's, it's how we, we work with the mind. And it, you're absolutely right, Misty. It has changed significantly. A lot of us think back, you know, what most of us think about is, you know, the psychiatrist or a psychologist sitting in a chair and the, and the client or patient is lying on a couch, you know, talking about their dreams and, and those sorts of things. That actually is kind of where psychotherapy maybe started a little bit. Think of Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, um, these individuals, that is called psychodynamic uh, perspective or psychodynamic therapy or psychoanalytic psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, where you're kind of talking about how the person, how their, their past and their development, did they have some sort of crisis, you know, you talk about conscious and subconscious types of things, that is a type of psychotherapy. And that's what a lot of us have in mind. But there are so many different theories and so many different modalities for psychotherapy. We're going to talk a little bit about those. But in general, to answer that first question, you know, what is psychotherapy? It's, it's mind therapy, it's talk therapy, um, and helping us deal with distress and dysfunction. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. When, um, when I, before I ever went, like when I was younger, anytime someone mentioned therapy, I immediately thought about like all of those kind of seventies horror yep. flicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really loved, you know, that, that theme in the seventies. And I was like, I don't want to do that, but right. yeah, no, definitely not the experience. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, how am I? Okay. So next question I wanted to ask you is, what are the main types of psychotherapy or therapy, as we're going to call it moving forward? And um, what does each type of therapy entail? How is it done? Yeah. Um, all of that. Yeah. So let me um, kind of address that in two paths. And, and I'll talk about the easy path first, and then the other path will get into the types a little bit. I'm going to break it down a little bit first into format and then the, the type of psychotherapy or therapy. First, let's talk about format because format can apply to all of the types of therapy. So there's, when I say format, I'm talking about how is it delivered, who's in the room, that sort of thing. So we have individual psychotherapy or individual therapy. That's what most of us think about, right? Where it's just the, the psychologist or the psychiatrist, uh, the social worker, whoever's doing the therapy and the client or the patient. That's it called individual. There's also family or marital therapy where it's the therapist plus maybe a couple, a married couple or a, a couple that, um, you know, has having relationship issues, even if they're not married. And they're, they're trying to work through those relationship issues with kind of this independent third party. And so that's another type of format. That's mm -hmm. who's in the room. Um, maybe it's a couple. Related to that is family therapy. So family therapy, and you can do family therapy with the client or without. So let's say there's a, 
um, a teenager uh, who's, who's struggling with some sort of issue. And uh, that teenager may go to individual therapy, but then there may be family dynamics that are contributing to the distress. And so there may be family therapy. So the therapist also meets with that teenager plus the parents or somebody else. Maybe it's a guardian or, or somebody. But then in family therapy, you can also have the therapist meeting just with the parents without the teenager present as well. Now, the, the teenager knows this, and, and so they're talking about different things. So um, that's another type. And then the third major format is group therapy. Group therapy is when you have multiple individuals maybe having similar struggles uh, in, the, in a room, and you have the therapist kind of leading group activities, sharing you know, supportive techniques, those sorts of things. And so kind of like AA, AA, right? Yeah, exactly. That would be a form of group therapy. Uh, You can do group therapy with people who are, yeah, struggling with substance abuse. um, Or maybe another example might be uh, individuals who've recently lost a spouse or individuals who've lost a child, right? To, to, to death. Um, and so they ha- are sharing a similar grief. And so you, you may have a group therapy where you're trying to work through that together. So when I say formats, I'm talking about who's in the room. And so we've talked about individual, uh, marital and family, I'm kind of putting into one, and then group. Because in group therapy, the people aren't related. They're, you know, they're not strangers because they've been in the group together. So those are the formats. Now, the other part of your question was, what are the types of therapy? So let me just kind of name them and then we can maybe walk through these. So the first one is psychoanalysis. And that's, I mentioned it a little bit already. That's kind of where Freud started and you're looking at the the past and development and conflicts and maybe you had a crisis or a trauma, conscious and the subconscious. So that's called psychoanalysis. The second, and this is kind of historically how uh, different forms developed as well. That may have been one of the earliest types. Then in response to that, some people didn't really believe that was the, the full story. Um, people like B.F. Skinner, you may have heard of with behavioral therapy. And so behavior modification. So psychoanalysis, behavior. Then you have client-centered. It's sometimes also referred to as person-centered or humanistic therapy. So that's a third type. Uh, And then a fourth major type is cognitive therapy. Now, these are the major types. There are hundreds probably, right? Because you can have different theories. You can have different approaches. As I mentioned, this is both science and art. The mind is not 100% understood. And so there are lots of different approaches, lots of different ways to deal with therapy. We wouldn't have enough time to cover every possible therapy. I don't even know if there's a text or, or literature that covers everyone because it, it develops so quickly. But those are the four major types. Um, so, you know, you mentioned, you know, could I go through kind of what each one is? Um, and so let's just start with psychoanalysis or psychotherapy. Um, psychodynamic is what it's sometimes referred to. This approach, what it does is it emphasizes a person's past and their development, uh, as well as ways that developmental crises and themes from the past keep repeating themselves in the person's current relationships and the person's current functioning. 
it also focuses on all the needs and the drives that constantly push and pull us. So it's what the reason sometimes this is called psychodynamic because you have these dynamics in your life. You have these desires, you have these drives, you have these needs, uh, and they're pushing and pulling. And there can be very varying levels of awareness of these things. Some are conscious and some are un, uh, subconscious. And so that can sometimes create conflict within us. And so psycho the psychodynamic therapy or psychoanalysis, think of Freud and Carl Jung. The, the, the goal here is to um, develop what's known as resistance and transference. And I don't want to get too uh, technical here, but th- basically what this means is that you're using different techniques and psychodynamic models the therapist does uh, designed to reduce the resistance and promote what's known as transference. And what that means is that it, transference is pushing those issues and um, problems onto the therapist. So the therapist acts as a transfer transference object where the patient or the client can, can put those problems onto the therapist and that promotes insight to the individual and catharsis. So kind of a cleansing uh, type of thing. So that though, when it first started in the traditional role was typically daily sessions over the course of several years, you can imagine how expensive that is and how (laughs) intensive that is. So that's why that, that hasn't really stayed um, as, as kind of, there are people who still do it, but it's limited, mm-hmm. right? Because people don't have the time and the money to do that sort of thing. So it, it's kind of developed over, over the years. Yeah, I was going to say, geez, that's like a, a whole level of uh, the access conversation. Is yes, exactly, right? Right. I mean, we did, a, we did a podcast recently with a psychiatrist colleague of mine, and we were talking about access and how hard it is just to get in to see somebody. So even when you're like you're having like a crisis or you know a lot of people just have to go to the emergency room to access psychiatric care nowadays um so that to your point Ms. D is right it's like how do you do that right <laughs> yeah you would have to wait until like a patient like either quit or yeah. like <laughs> passed away before you could get into somebody right and the the people who do kind of the traditional sigmund freud approach it's very expensive. So they do that. And so not most people can't afford, you know, kind of like Mm -hmm. a daily multiple sessions over years. Um, Okay. So that, that is not as common nowadays. So the the second type that I mentioned is behavioral therapy. The other thing I should mention is sometimes these therapies are mixed. So Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about behavioral and cognitive, and sometimes people just do what's known as cognitive behavioral therapy. And so I'll, I'll mention those, these two, and then you can imagine how those two might mix. Mm-hmm. So behavioral therapy was kind of historically the next major movement and, and B.F. Skinner was one of the, the major individuals who promoted this and, and designed it. Um, it. It's sometimes also called behavior modification. So behavioral therapy or behavior modification, because the focus is not so much on your conscious and subconscious, you know, drives and pushes and pulls and crises and, and uh, injuries, you know, psychological injuries. It's more, all right, we're scientists, we're going to do X, Y, and Z and see if behavior changes. Um, sometimes this is just called behavior therapy. Um, really here, the therapy relationship um, in place of that psychodynamic, behavioral psychologists put very specific, very systematic applications kind of based on classic and operant conditioning, such as systematic desensitization. So think of, you know, you probably heard of Pavlov, 
So he was a behavior therapist, a behaviorist. Uh, Pavlov's dogs, right? You heard about where a, a, a bell was rung or a sound, and then mm-hmm. they would they would be given a treat, and then um, they would just ring the bell, and now the dogs salivate uh, because they've been trained this operant conditioning. So that's what behavior therapy is. It's trying to change a behavior. And you, you do that through, through different techniques. You know, one of these is desensitization. So let's say somebody has an irrational fear of, um, of large crowds. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's a real condition. People have that and it affects their mm-hmm. lives. They can't mm-hmm. go to, you know, uh, social events. They can't go to, enjoyable events that they might like and those sorts of things. And so people want to help solve that. What's that? Oh, no, I didn't say anything. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so when, when in behavior therapy, what they might do is slowly introduce you to larger and larger groups. And while you're kind of dealing with that emotional dissonance or whatever, um, you you know, you provide support to the individual. So rather than throw the person into a huge crowd, you know, on day one, um, it might be, okay, let's just go someplace where there's three people. Um, and we'll just sit in this small coffee shop with three people. And then we're going to go to, you know, a classroom where there's this many people and then we'll go. So it's kind of this desensitizing, uh, approach where slowly over time, you try to change the behaviors and you, 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 you're monitoring, you know, is this person having a panic attack while we do this? And, you know, what can we help this person focus on so that they, they don't have those physiologic symptoms and those sorts of things. So behavior therapy is basically you're trying to change a behavior. And that's, a, uh, that's often also called exposure therapy, right? Where right. you are exposing yourself and yeah, exactly. Um, and some of the behavior therapies. So um, in my experience, one of the the things that a therapist will sometimes have you do is even just change your self-talk, like the way that you talk to yourself, like yes. reminding yourself, like this is anxiety, it's a liar, yep. I'm fine. And it's something as simple as that can make a huge improvement. Like if Absolutely. And, and what you just brought up is basically cognitive therapy. And so Um, that's why a lot of people combine these two and they call it CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy because they go together. If we speak about behavior therapy in its strictest sense, we're not so much concerned about the mind. We're just concerned about how can we get the behavior to change? So, but that, that strict behavior therapy can be difficult. And so what you just mentioned, Misty, about, you know, the self-talk and that's the cognitive piece. And so cognitive therapy is, uh, this was developed by people such as Aaron Beck and uh, Bandura, Ellis. Um, Basically, they developed methods of dealing with this maladaptive thought patterns, right? So sometimes our self-talk is such as, I'm no good, I'll never be a success, you know, or um, those types of things that are coming from yourself over and over again that causes this emotional distress or other dysfunctional behaviors. So when you're dealing with cognitive, so think of cognitive as cognition. It's how the mind thinks, right? Mm -hmm. And so cognitive therapy is is how the mind thinks and you're trying to teach yourself, just like you said, Misty, of positive self-talk or to avoid you know these negative thoughts over and over and over again. And so Yeah, it's, it's called name it to tame it. Yeah, there you go. Right. And you're, you're kind of getting in, in 
connection with, oh, when I have this thought, this is the emotion that arises. Mm -hmm. Or when this emotion rises, it leads me down this pattern of thought that is not real productive, right? And it causes Mm -hmm. more distress and more dysfunction. And so, uh, and sometimes those can be illogical self-statements as well. Sometimes they may be somewhat based on history, you know, and, and your past experiences, but sometimes they can be illogical completely. Um, and so that's why cognitive therapy is often combined with behavioral. So you, you may see people documented as, you know, we did a behavioral therapy session on X, Y, and Z, or we did CBT, cognitive behavioral. Uh, and then the, the other one that um, I had mentioned, what is known as client-centered person-centered or humanistic. And what this focuses on, it focuses on individual growth and maximum potentials. Some of the psychologists who, who uh, promoted this were Carl Rogers, Abraham Maslow. These are individuals that talked about uh, the needs of individuals. So like you have basic needs, right? We have basic needs to have food, uh, warmth, um, safety, uh, and love. You know, they're there are many studies done, you know, like in, in um, um, homes where, you know, orphanages and those sorts of things where babies have not been held. And you, you know, just that physical holding and that touch and that, you know, love, showing of love has a physical effect on babies and they can have failure to thrive if they, if they don't have that touch and that love. So this, this client-centered humanistic focuses on individual growth and maximum potentials. And then on in the therapy part is supporting and understanding that a lot of people lack in their daily lives certain things uh, to help achieve their goals. And so this client-centered uh, humanistic is focuses on being in touch with your feelings, with honest communication. Uh, points of emphasis, the clinician or the therapist will do things such as provide empathy and active listening. And so that's actually a part of therapy is the therapist is, is showing empathy, providing active listening, and that can be helpful to the client or to the patient. And then the client or patient can then realize their potential, be more accepting of themselves, be more accepting of others, and generally feel more at peace with the world around them. So and as you can see, all of these, as I've talked about all of these, you're probably like, well, yeah, but can't they be mixed? And they absolutely can. And so I've kind of just outlined the psychoanalysis, you know, the Freud, behavior therapy, kind of BF Skinner, um, client-centered or humanistic, and then cognitive. And so those are the kind of four main thoughts. And you can approach them from a very strict standard where you don't go outside of the boundaries of those therapies or what happens more today is that these get mixed and you, you use multiple techniques throughout um, the therapy sessions. That's a long answer gonna... to your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fantastic. It was very thorough, um, which is awesome. Yeah, I was going to say uh, from my experience and like, you know, just from chatting with friends and stuff, um, it, yeah, it sounds like it's all just mixed. And some of the things also seem to rely on each other now. Yes. Like if a person does, um, EMDR therapy, um, which is, you know, it's a kind of a way of reprogramming your subconscious, yep. but you start, you have to start with the talk therapy first. And then they identify all of the things that like historically might be causing behaviors. And then you do the EMDR, which is, you know, essentially like these little buzzers in your hands that go back and forth that kind of, yes. you know, mimic the 
REM sleep, I think. Is that yep. right? Yep. REM sleep. Yep. And, um, and then after that, then there's like a behavior, like a cognitive behavioral component on top of it. So like, I feel like it's very thorough now. Like they're just yes. like, let's just do it all. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and it's, as I mentioned it, the mind is kind of the last frontier in medicine. And so there's lots of research being done. And just as you mentioned, Misty, uh, different therapists are, are trying to combine and say, okay, I've done this kind of therapy for years, but what if I added this piece? Would that actually show benefit? And so they actually do studies, right? Where people actually uh, can improve. There are even studies for, for those of you listening who are like, oh, all of this is hooey. Um, there are actually studies where, so pe- they studied people with cancer mm-hmm. and they, and these were people that were, were terminal. Uh, so they were going to die relatively soon. And one, one arm of the study just had traditional chemotherapy, you know, physical medicines, those sorts of thing, things. The other arm had the same medicines. And then the only thing that was different was they added supportive uh, group therapy. Those people live longer, the people who had supportive group therapy. So statistically it was shown, I mean, these are studies where, so the only difference between those two different groups and the treatment they got was one had a supportive talk therapy group. Uh, They all eventually will die, but one group lived longer. Well, if you were a drug company and you had a drug that helped somebody live six months longer, that Mm -hmm. drug would sell, right? It would would be a very important drug because it gives somebody six months more of life. And so this supportive therapy actually had an effect on the body and it actually uh, prolonged life. And so, um, you know, th- those are important things to, to think about just in general. The other thing, you know, you, you were mentioning, it brought up in my mind, uh, kind of the four stages of therapy. You, when you go to a therapist on day one, you don't jump into certain things. It, there's, you know, stage one is kind of the introductory stage and you just build rapport with the therapist. The second stage is when you start setting goals. So it might be like, look, you know, this has been holding me back. I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z in the future. So, you know, you kind of set goals. Then the third stage is where you, you really focus in on the intervention. You know, you're changing problematic thoughts, you're changing behaviors, you're changing feelings. And then the fourth stage, you evaluate what's been going on and you actually want to terminate the relationship at some point, right? You want to demonstrate that the patient, I mean, that's the biggest compliment to a therapist is when the patient doesn't need to come back and see you anymore, right? Because they have learned now to function independently. And so those are kind of the four stages. And, and when you were talking about, um, uh, you know, the EMDR, uh, that's a little bit, um, it reminded me of these stages of therapy. Yeah. And I was going to say, I think that for anybody listening, who's thought about therapy or tried it and like, just wasn't into it. I I think the first stage is where people often kind of fall off because they go and they're like, Oh, I'm like talking to this person about all my stuff. And like, I'm not getting better. And like, nothing's happening. Like it takes a long time for, well, one, you have to make sure it's the right therapist for you. That's right. And there's nothing wrong with going to a different therapist. It just might, it just might not click. It's a lot like dating, right? It's like, okay, you're a very nice person and no offense, but this is just not going to work. Yeah. And they can be amazing for one person and terrible for another just because their personalities don't match well. Um, But that, that introductory period, I think is really frustrating. Like, you know, especially if you've been struggling for a long time and you finally decided to go, but 
So just like hang, hang in there. If you feel like you mesh well with the person, hang in there. And because, yeah. um, you know, like CJ said with the stages, like just wait till you get to stage two. Um, the, and I was going to say, CJ, I don't know if you've read this. Um, the Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. No. It's, um, he's, he's a psychiatrist who worked in all kinds of different um, organizations and facilities. And he wrote this amazing book um, about all of this research that him and his team, like some of the best in the world did on how um, trauma affects people's bodies. And, yeah. you know, he talks about like fatigue, like chronic fatigue and all of yes. these things and yes. how they know that there's a connection. If you haven't healed your past, it's yes. going to like deteriorate your body. Right. Right. So yeah. Well, amazing and- book. Yeah, and I often use this example for people who don't kind of believe in the mind-body connection. So um, I hike a lot. So I'm out in the wilderness and I'm walking down a trail and uh, this actually happened to be last uh, fall. I was, I got a little lost. I was in Grand Teton National Park and I ran across a pack of wolves. Um, I actually was excited because I had my camera. I was trying to take pictures of wildlife, but just physically or just, me seeing the wolves. So nothing changed in the environment. The temperature didn't go up. It wasn't, it didn't all of a sudden become windy. The barometric pressure didn't change. All I did is visually, I saw the wolves and my heart rate started going up. Right. Well, that is a fight or flight type of response. And so the mind interprets what it's seeing and it changes your body physiologically. So there absolutely is this connection. So if your mind is constantly having those types of things, and this is just one example, um, it can put stress on your body, right? And it releases hormones and it does all sorts of things. And, mm-hmm. and it absolutely can have a physical effect um, based off of, you know, just something you're thinking or seeing or, or interpreting. Yeah. Um, one, that's amazing. I can't believe you saw wolves because I've been going to Yellowstone every year for years trying to see them and they're evasive and impossible. That's amazing. Um, and two, yeah, like your cortisol levels can get permanently, right. um, I don't know the right word, reduced to where yeah, like yeah. it can't even help you manage stress anymore. And right. you can just like be anxious forever because of, because of something like that or or the new talk about epigenetics, like how yes. un, unhelped trauma can imprint into your genetics and actually affect your kids. Yeah. Like it's just crazy stuff now. So yeah. it's so cool. But And I'm glad you shared the, the title of that book because it reminded me a lot of what I've been sharing about these different types of psychotherapy. It's not my own original thought. Um, I was referencing a book called 21st Century Psychology. It's a reference mm-hmm. handbook. And uh, it's like a big textbook Uh, and chapter, I think it's chapter 86 (laughs) is all about psychotherapy. So you can imagine how many chapters there are here. Um, Oh, wow. Psychotherapy being chapter 86, but that's a really good book. The author was Michael uh, Leftwich is the one who um, wrote this particular chapter on psychotherapy and it was uh, edited by Davis and and Buskets. Anyway, if you're interested. Amazing. Yeah. That sounds like a really thorough and amazing resource. Um, <laughs> um, and we'll put them in the, the show notes too, folks, Perfect. if you need them. Um, and CJ, just to like, kind of, um, give some advice at the end, do you have any advice for folks on, um, you know, finding the right therapy for themselves? Should they do research before going in to kind of know what they're looking for or kind of just assume that yeah. everyone's doing like a mixed approach now or. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, 
so I guess my advice would be don't be afraid to shop around. Meaning like if you, like you said, if you go someplace and you're like, you know, hey, therapist, uh, this is, I don't think this is really what I anticipated. I was looking more for this. They can then maybe share other resources. Um, the other thing that you, you might consider, a lot of employees, excuse me, employers nowadays have what are known as EAP programs, employee assistance programs, mm-hmm. where they offer, um, usually with a clinical social worker, like one or two sessions for free. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. So if you, if you just talk to your HR department and say, do you guys have an EAP program, uh, employee assistance program? They usually, and it's all confidential. Um, and, and when you're doing that, it's also a time to explore the types of therapies that might be beneficial. Um, yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. So I think, I think that's a really, um, don't be afraid to jump around and be like, oh, this is not really what I thought. Ask, ask people, ask, um, um, therapists, you know, what other kinds of therapies might help me, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. And tell them if it's not working too. Just be yeah, like, I exactly. feel like I'm not getting anything out of this. Remember that they're working with and for you. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and then as a, as our expert compliance officer, CJ, um, yeah. what are the compliance risks associated with psychotherapy for all of the psychotherapists out there who, yeah. or therapists yeah. out there who might be listening? Exactly. I mean, we are a compliance, uh, conversations uh, podcast, right? So we got to talk <laughs> yeah. about compliance. So just a few things quickly. So when it comes to like coding and billing, you have to realize, first of all, that a lot of payers have um, payment limitations. So they might only authorize a certain number of sessions. And sometimes doctors and, and therapists, you know, are like, no, this is really working. I need to keep getting paid to do this. And they might code it with something different. Like they might pick a different procedure code, even though it's really the same thing they've been doing. And so that's, that's when you start to get into this world of, you know, your false reporting, you're reporting CPT codes of things that you actually didn't do now from, and most of us won't do that. The other thing that you can run into trouble with, and this is usually not intentional, but you got to remember these psychotherapy codes are timed-based codes. And you can also do psychotherapy with an evaluation and, and management service. And so there's different codes depending on what you're doing. So time-based, it might say psychotherapy 30 minutes. And then the next code is psychotherapy 45 minutes. Well, guess what? What if you did psychotherapy for 37 minutes? Well, if it's 37 minutes, you have to round down because the difference between 30 minutes and 45 is 15. You have to go over the 50% mark. So if you did 37 minutes, you're under that threshold and you report down. So you only report the 30 minute code. If you did 38 minutes, now you're over the halfway mark to the 45, right? And so you would report up, you could, you could round up and you could report the 45 minute code. So time-based is important. The other thing that I've seen when I've done document reviews and audits and that sort of thing is um, it's really important to say what the goals are, right? So you, you might have a therapy plan. So like on day one, when you, on visit number one, the clinician says, okay, this is why the person's here. We think this therapy is going to be best. We think this can be accomplished in so many sessions. And these are going to be our milestones or our goals. It's important in subsequent visits to be documenting, okay, we're 30% towards our goal, or we're getting closer to our goal, or we're not progressing at all towards our goal. It's important to document progress in each subsequent visit. Um, and are you, make, are you getting closer to those, to those goals? The other thing that 
I've seen some enforcement on and people get in trouble with this all the time is they do group therapy where you have, you know, 15 people and the therapist spends an hour and a half with that one group. And then the therapist bills individual psychotherapy codes for all 15 people. Well, you didn't do individual, you did group therapy or you did family therapy. And so a lot of times they just, they want to report those individual psychotherapy codes because the therapy was good for the individual, but the codes are based off of what you did. And so when I outlined those different formats, the codes actually uh, follow those formats individual. So there's psychotherapy CPT codes for individual there's therapy codes for family. And in the family codes, there's different codes, one code for the client, the, you know, the child or the person is also present with the family. And then there's a a family therapy code where that individual is not present. And then the group therapy. So people get, you know, and, and it all comes down to reimbursement, you know, group therapy might not reimburse what individual therapy for 15 different people would do. Um, and then one other area where I've seen people get in trouble is known as impossible days. And what that means is, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. And there've been some people who've gotten in trouble because they've billed coding uh, codes for more than 24 hours in a day. And so it's like, that's impossible. Or they've come close to that, you know, and, and they've billed for 20 hours of therapy in one calendar day, but they were only in the clinic for eight. So how is that possible? So you got to be really careful because these are <laughs> yeah. time-based codes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That would yeah. be a hard one to, to argue. Yeah, it is. You worked more than 24 hours. (laughs) Exactly. Well, and even the ones where it's not a full 24 hours, like if they've billed 20 and then they can document that, oh, well, you also went to the nursing home and you were seeing patients there. So how is it possible that you did 20 hours when Mm -hmm. you weren't even in your clinic for this many? Um, So yeah, you got to be careful there. And then I guess the last thing I would say is the diagnosis coding is also important. Um, you know, those are the ICD-10 codes. You got to make sure that that those are accurate for what you're doing. Uh, There are some psychotherapy codes for like crisis management. And if that's the case, then you want to make sure your diagnosis codes show that the patient, patient was in crisis. So not all mental health and not all psychotherapy services are crisis, right? Crisis is when, you know, the patient might be at harm themselves or harming somebody else those are more crisis mode type of things. And the diagnosis code should reflect the severity of that, that event. Most mental health services, you're not in crisis, right? Yes, you have conflict and, and you have these um, distress and that sort of thing, but you're not so severe that it, you know, you're at harm for self-harm or at risk for self-harm or harming others. So uh, diagnosis coding is also important. Fantastic. That's all great information, CJ. Um, and really interesting on the time, the time stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and it's because those codes are based on time. Um, and so that's, and you have to document that in the record. So don't mm-hmm. forget to do that. Right. So don't just go off of your schedule for the day, put in the clinical record. I saw Mary Jones, we did supportive psychotherapy or cognitive psychotherapy. So mention the type that you did. Uh, mention, mention the techniques you use and you say, yes, and we did this for 30 minutes. Uh, that's the kind of thing you need to have in your documentation. Awesome. That's fantastic, CJ. Thank you so much. This is all so good. Yeah, yeah interesting folks, stuff to talk about for sure. It really is fun. And uh, folks, don't forget, we'll put everything in uh, the show notes, the books that 
were mentioned, we usually add additional resources. Um, so you can find all of that there. Yeah. And thank you, Misty, for, for uh, asking me some questions and uh, turning the tables a little bit. And we like to thank everybody who listened to this episode. And we hope you listen to another episode of Compliance Conversations soon. Thanks, everyone. Awesome. Thank you, CJ. Bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.